building on a full and accurate truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the scriptures speak. This is the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. And this is a continuation, part two of uh, the last episode, and it was Understanding the New Covenant. This is episode 20. And as I said, as I just said before, I mean, we this we're continuing um, in Second Corinthians chapter three. And if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it before you even come here, because there's a lot here that we had to break it up into two episodes. But uh, I promise if you're here coming off that episode, you're probably eager beaver to jump right in here and, and, and get into this stuff, because so are we. But welcome. Um, we're sitting here in Prevail Studios. I'm with my uh, partner, uh, Christian Lopez. Hello, hello. How you doing, bro? You ready to dig into this again? Let's do it. All right. So where we left this off was Second Corinthians um, chapter 3. And what I'm going to do is just do a quick recap, and then we'll read some more and then continue to the end of the chapter. But basically, the Bible teaches that there is, and we were talking about sacraments and ceremonies, and we're talking about the law, the purpose of the law, and how Old Testament saints were looking forward to Christ, and how salvation really isn't any different for them than it is for us. It's just a matter of perspective, and the perspective being what Christ accomplished on the cross, whether you're before that or after that. And so the Bible teaches that no ceremony, sacraments, or, or rituals can save the sinner from eternal separation from God. That's clear. And full atonement for sin is only found in Christ. Our works have no part in what the Father is accomplishing through His Son. And that's something that we got to make absolutely clear. There is no works involved in anything that you can do. There is no human achievement that's going to get you to, to the point where you can uh, uh, receive what the Father is accomplishing through His Son. It's all God through His Son accomplishing redemption of humanity. And the purpose of everything in the law was to make mankind aware of that hopelessness and sin and to foreshadow a new and everlasting covenant in Christ. Like He told His disciples, this new covenant is in my blood. So he is known as the Lamb of God and only and the only sacrifice that's capable of washing away sins of humanity for all eternity. Through him, fallen man can find hope and the promise of glory in the presence in the eternal presence of a holy God. And that is, my friends, a very appealing prospect to be in the presence of a holy God forever. So in chapter 3, as we left it off last time, Paul was confronting the heresy that he found that these false uh, uh, apostles were trying to dissuade or, or mislead the believers in the Corinthians church. And, and as believers, a profound understanding of God's plan throughout Scripture is important to us. Because right. this is how we avoid that type of confusion when people show up and say, well, it's Christ and this. Oh, it's Christ plus that. No, there is no plus. It's Christ, period. There's right. no plus. There's no and. There's no but. It's Christ, and that's what the Scripture teaches. It reminds us, this chapter reminds us that salvation and new life are not achieved by our own works, but trusting in the finished work of Christ. And this is an understanding that gives us hope. Christian, it gives us an opportunity to, for those who are unsaved, okay, to find freedom 
from that that death and despair that we talked about in in the last episode that that tax collector beating his chest and yeah. and recognizing the sin in his life you in your own testimony in your own life came to a point where you you had to get to that point where you had to look up and say you know god i am a sinner okay have mercy on me well that's where the the law drives us to to that that despair and and that belief that that god has to provide a way and that's what the old testament saints as we were talking about in the last episode that's what they had their faith and hope in that covenant of god given all the way back even to not just abraham christian but even from genesis when god talks about that you know the seed of the woman is going to crush your head and you will you will as bruise his heel right it talks right. about that right in genesis that promise has always been there and it's always been consistent throughout all the scripture and that the freedom from death and despair it's all in christ it's a powerful reminder how how god is so loving and and, and so full of grace to give us that the sinner that that tax collector can look forward and say, you know what, I recognize my sin, but there's hope because God will provide a lamb that will wash away these sins forever. So we covered the purpose of the law as well, too. And, and let's read on. Let's go to chapter 3 of Second Corinthians, and let's read from, from verse 7 forward. And I think I'll stop maybe at around 13 or so. So Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. But if the ministry of death in letters, having been engraved on stones, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not intently, not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, which was being brought to an end, how will the ministry of the Spirit not even be in have more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what has been glorious in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which was being brought to an end was with glory, much more, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having a hope, we use great boldness and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the consequence of what, oh, excuse me, of what was being brought to an end, okay? And we'll read on a little bit more from there later on. But there's a lot of talk here about the glory of God, and that can be a little confusing. But the, the fact of the matter is, the context here is that when, when Paul talks about the former glory, when he says that the condemnation in verse 9 for the ministry of condemnation had glory of course it had glory look at the way god brought the law to the the, the people of israel and we talked a little bit about that how yeah, even angels say, were yeah. present there when god handed this law and how would we know what sin was if it were not for the law so it's glorious in that way because it has glory but there's a surpassing glory and that's really the the driving force behind these verses that we read that as glorious as god was in showing us what sin can do okay and what is driving us to do which is look towards the promises of god and to look to salvation in god to for to get rid of sin forever okay this is surpassing glory a, a glory that even surpasses what old testament saints knew you had something to say there yeah again those who are in the law ministry um uh remember uh 
Paul is in the new covenant ministry, right? The minister, he's a minister of the new covenant and those who are in the law ministry, obviously we talked about this in the last episode, teach others to work the law and keep it as a means of salvation. But again, Paul is drawing the fact that um, it only brings about condemnation and death. But again, like you were talking about, it had glory and came in glory because look at the effect that it had on Moses when he was writing the letter on stone that God was giving him. He came out glowing. <laughs> it's amazing. We're going to dig into that yeah. a little bit. So the purpose of the law, the moral law, uh, it, which is different than the ceremonial law, right? There's law that drives you to the temple to do all these things that are, that are, uh, that are, outlined by God in Mosaic law to do. Those are all things that are ceremonial, but there's a moral law. There's a morality that was laid down in the law that made man aware of his sin and a standard that we need to live by. You know, that law, that moral law reveals God's nature. Without right. the law, we wouldn't know God's nature. So the purpose of the law is to drive men to, sh to see his sinfulness, but it also reveals God's nature because if these are the standards for us, then it tells us a little bit about him. Correct, correct. Right? It tells us about his nature. It tells us about his holiness. And there's a whole bunch of scripture that talks about the holiness of God. We've talked about it say, in yeah. your episode that you did the goodness of God. Yeah. Okay, talking about his goodness and talk about his holiness. All right? So it's... It's God nature that we see in the law as well, too. His standards that, that, that he sets for us for his holiness, which we could never meet, okay? That, that the law does that, too. It shows us that we can never keep the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. We just can't keep it. And it reveals God's holy standard for our behavior. How would we know, like Paul was saying, how would I know not to covet if the law didn't say don't covet? Right. And reading the law just made him want to covet more. So it, it definitely does expose more of man's sinfulness. But I love the fact that we can look at the law, too. As, as negative as it may sound sometimes, we're yeah. not really knocking it. it. It really does reveal a lot about God, his nature and his holiness, which is glorious in itself. Right. It really is. So what is the glory of God? The glory of God refers to his magnificence, his splendor and the greatness of his presence. And we see that in this text when, when, he's, when Moses is really confronted by God. Uh oh, Moses confronts God, I should say. Okay? It's his splendor. It's his magnificence. It's his greatness. It's his character. All his attributes. Let me ask you something, Christian. How would you describe God? I mean, those are words I wrote down in my notes here to describe God's glory, but is it really describable? It's really hard to describe. <laughs> when you see it, yeah. can you really put words to yeah, it? Yeah, no. You know, my wife and I had another conversation about Revelation, and um, one of the things that she was asking me about is like, you know, you see all this imagery and all these things that, that are painted in Scripture that really, you know, uh, uh, um, an animal with three heads and all these horns and all that stuff that we, all that imagery we read in Revelation. And she goes, what is that, Alex? I said, you got to understand something. When John is confronted with the God of the universe— and he's shown what things look like in heaven. How do you describe that? Yeah, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, you know, all these words seem to be confusing and all this imagery kind of makes sense. But there's that's more that's mortal man right. looking at the things of God and trying to express them. You can't. It's going to come off looking that way. It's going to, you know, multiple colors, streets of gold, all these things that we use to describe. And it's never enough. Right. So a lot of that imagery is because man is attempting to describe the undescribable. Which goes to show you, like, 
the glory of God is, man, like you try to think of the glory of God and you could only get so close to what you think it is. And then it's even much more than that, you know, beyond that, <laughs> beyond, beyond that. So they use the words magnificence, his splendor, his greatness, his character, his attributes, his infinite power, his wisdom his holiness, his love, to use all those things and try to kind of encapsulate that into what his glory is, okay, it's hard, okay? The best that we can do, the best besides using words that fall short of describing what God really is, is what we see in Scripture, which yeah. is this light. And I believe that all those attributes I just went through, and them and more, like you said, Christian, those and more can be easily depicted as this radiant brilliance, this light that we always see in Scripture. We see it with Moses, and we're going to go into Exodus, and we're going to read a little bit of that, uh, Exodus 34, um, verses 29 through 35, and we're going to read a little bit of that, and that shining face that Moses had when he encountered this brilliance, this magnificent. In fact, the disciples, the apostles encounter this when when Jesus manifests itself and his glory. He peels back his skin just a little bit when Moses and, yeah, and yeah. was it Isaiah shows up? Uh, one no, of the, uh, Moses and Elijah. Elijah show up and they're counseling him before the cross. And Peter and, 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 and John and Andrew, I believe, are there to, yeah. to see him. And, and they see Jesus for what he is, at least a little peak. He peels his skin back. I like to put it that way. He peels his skin back just a little bit. And then what do you see? You see this brilliance. You see this light. It's, so to me, that is a great depiction of what God is. Yeah. And when we think about God and his glory, that's what you see. That's what you see. And, and it's this brilliance and that light. And that brilliance and light encompasses all that he is. At least all we can take in as men. Right, right. As, as mortal men, that's all we can take in, because how do you take in something like God? So the glory of God is often depicted as a radiant light, a divine brilliance that reveals his majesty, and it inspires awe, and it inspires reverence. Men fall to the ground when angels appear in their glory. Can you imagine when God himself shows up? Which makes us appreciate Christ who he is yeah, as man, too. Because yeah. here's God basically wrapped in flesh and all that glory is bound up in him and it makes a lot of sense when he talks about that if you see me you see the father of course you do he may be veiled by skin but everything about god is in him that's right that's all right. that glory all that brilliance and 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 it should inspire awe and reverence and the fact that it didn't and they put him on a cross and punished him for what he was trying to do it's amazing when you think about that whole, the, the, what God is doing through Christ, I mean, there's, we've said this many times on this podcast. You can look at any religion in the world. There's no story like that because this is only one that God can write himself. That's right. That's there's right. nothing like Christ anywhere. It's God in man. And understanding and contemplating the glory of God can deepen our faith. It really can. It should inspire us to worship him more. It should inspire us to appreciate just who he is. It should inspire us, Christian, quite frankly, to appreciate the fact that he's even bothering with us. Yeah. I I would say for for me personally, it draws me to submit to God even more. Because you have God who understands the glory that he has. Like he knows that he has glory and he will not share it with anyone else, right? 
And when in the Old Testament, when you see the Israelites turning away from the true God, Yahweh, and they turn to God's little G, it's almost like, guys, like what? Like I, what you're turning to is not anywhere close to the glory that I have or the goodness that I have or the love that I have for you. So it, it really draws me to God's, um, really just God's uh, uh, love for humanity and also, you know, um, his, his, his glory and, and, and who he is. Yeah, we should appreciate that. And it is a perspective that we should have that make, should make him more appreciative in our eyes. It really is a wonder to gaze at God. Not that we see him physically, but we see him in scripture. And like you said, like it's, it definitely uh, surpasses any other, you know, um, religion out there, any other God that is made up. It really does surpass that because when you look at God's glory and his goodness, you're just like, man, how can this God be this good? I, I don't see that in any other God. I don't, I don't. I see it in only uh, Yahweh. Yeah. And the good news there is for us now is that we've talked about this as well, too, right? There's there's a glorification that happens when, when the saints, those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, right now we've been redeemed in Christ, but we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we leave this world and we go to be with God, you know, we'll be glorified in Him. And that's to come. And, and that's something that gives us hope to look forward to. And it should, it should give us, it, it should really inspire us to appreciate that although we may not see him, we have the word. That's right. You, you, want, you can see him in scripture. This same glory that seems like, like we talked about in our last episode for the Old Testament saints, when they look forward to that Savior, they really couldn't grasp what that was going to be. And it was something that they were not, you know, they had the promise, but were not was not going to see that promise fulfilled. We're kind of in the same thing, too. I mean, how many of times in your life, I know I've gone through this, I've yearned for my, for, for my loving Savior. I, I, I want to see him. I look forward to the day that when I do leave this world, I'll be in his presence. Yeah. Because I finally get yeah. to see him in all his glory. What a wonderful thing to hope for. It really, really is. Let's go to um, Exodus 33. I'm going to read a little bit here, and then we'll jump into 34. Because I want to show you just how wonderful the glory of God is. And let me see, where can I start here? da 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 da, da. Verse 12. Yeah, let's go to verse 12. Moses and the glory of Yahweh. Again, we're reading from the LSB uh, Bible. Then Moses said to Yahweh, verse 12, verse uh, chapter 33. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I've known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So now I pray. Verse 13, I have found favor in your sight. Let me know your ways and that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. See also that this nation is your people. So here's Moses in these first couple of verses pleading with God. 
because he wants to know. He he wants that intimacy. We've talked about this, Will. Yeah. That intimacy that you can see what I was just talking about before, the intimacy that I desire when I leave this world. This is what Moses is craving here. He wants that intimacy. He wants to be able to communicate that to his people as the mediator between him and God and his people. Verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with you. This is God responding, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, in your presence, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. He was smart enough to know that if God is not with them, they're not going to succeed. Verse 16, indeed, how then can it be known that they have found favor in your sight and your eye and your people? It is not by your doing, excuse me, it is not by your going with us so that we, I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will do this thing for which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Now this is where it gets real interesting. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there in the rock, and I will come about, and my glory will be passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed you by. Then I will remove my hand and you shall see my back, and my face shall not be seen. So there's an interesting encounter where, where Moses is desiring this intimacy. And God is saying, wait a second, you can't see me completely for who right. I am. Because it means certain death. Now, is it because God is so evil and anyone who confronts him face to face will burn to a crisp? No, it's just he's beyond us. Yeah. And an easy way to understand that, people, is to understand that's what Christ is. Christ, you see Christ, you see God. The best way for us to know the living God in this intimacy that we see Moses is craving here is to see him as God in man. Right. That's why Christ is, is like no other, because you've got God right there with you in a way that you can take him completely in. Not in some cleft of a rock, not right. in, in a manner where God has to cover you so he doesn't, you know, destroy who you are. Right, right. Okay, because we can't take him in. I mean, who are we that our finite minds can even understand who God is? Right. Let alone take in all his glory. All Moses can see here is just his backside. And even with that, he had to cover Not even enough, Moses yeah. a little bit because even his backside was enough to make him perish. I mean, try looking at the sun in its full blazing, you know, like 12 o'clock noon. Try looking at the sun. It's impossible. <laughs> and I'm glad you went there because let's go to uh, uh, Exodus 34 and let's read 29 through 35. And we're talking about the shining face of Moses. Now it happened, verse 29, when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets. Again, this is after what we just talked about transpired. And God, with the angels, gave Moses the, the commandments after they were destroyed the first time when Israel rebelled. He came down with the two tablets of the testimony where in Moses' hand, they were in his hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. 
So God is speaking with Moses here, and his face is shining, and he has no clue. Verse 30, Then Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him, exactly for the reason that you said, Christian. Can you imagine looking directly into the sun? Absolutely. You know how sometimes yeah. that hurts, yeah. especially in the peak summer. Now, here's the glory of God. Not only is it there, shining it's shining on a man for the first time in history the glory of god is on a man mm. where in the new covenant where is the glory of god it is in man very yeah. different than moses yeah very different and we'll make more about that distinction later on when we get back to second corinthians because i think that's the point why we're jumping back and forth in corinthian paul tries to make that point that's glory and that's a wonderful glory but that was glory that moses had on him right 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 that's shown forth, and he had to veil it. The glory that's available to us in Christ is in us. And we don't have to veil it. It's a greater glory. Yeah. It's a great, it's a glory that surpasses even that which we're reading here. And so, let me see, then Moses called to them, verse 31, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and when he spoke to them, and then he spoke to them, and afterward the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them everything that Yahweh had spoken on Mount Sinai. Then Moses finished speaking with them and put the veil over his face. So he had to protect the people from what was happening with him. But whenever Moses went in before Yahweh to speak to him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And then he would come out and speak to the sons of Israel what he had commanded. And the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would return the veil over his face until he went to speak with him. Amazing, amazing part of, of Scripture where we see a man who, and Moses was famous for the fact that God spoke to him face to face. God considered yeah. him a friend. And here he is coming face to face with the God of the universe and he's absorbing some of that energy. Why that didn't kill him, I don't know. Yeah. Why that little bit of glory that we read in, in, in chapter 33 of Exodus didn't kill him. Well, and it, had, it had an effect on him. It didn't, it didn't quite kill him. God had a purpose in it. Right, right. Okay, because he was asking God for that intimacy and he was asking God for a way to manifest himself to his people. Well, he did. Because that conversation and every conversation apparently that he had with God, it made him shine. It made him shine and made him glow to a point where he had to veil himself after he finished talking with God. He'd veil himself before the people because it scared them. It was too much yeah. for them to take in. Well, and it was proof to the to the people that he actually spoke with God. Like, what other proof do you, do you want? You know, this is physical proof that the glory of God was on him. He was God's mediator, and you're right. And that was proof. So this is Moses who said to the sons of Israel, he will raise up a prophet. And I'm reading from Acts 7, um, verses 37 38. It says in Acts 7, that this is Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from my brothers. So we're talking about Moses in the same context that we talked about in the last episode. So even Moses with his intimacy and with that glowing and with carrying the glory of the Lord on him, he spoke that God will raise up one for you, a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one in the congregation in the wilderness was with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai, the one who received the oracles and passed to you. And what's being communicated there in Act, Acts is that, look, this is the Moses who received the oracles of the Lord, and God is going to raise a prophet like him 
from your own brothers. And so this is the early church trying to convince the Jews, look, your, your Messiah has come. This is the one that the prophet spoke of, that he was going to raise up from among you. Okay? And he received the law and ordinance of the angels. Again, in Acts 7, it talks about how the angels were uh, involved there. It's, it's just amazing, amazing stuff how, how in Exodus we can see that that glory just rested on Moses, but it faded. And it talks about that here in, 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 in uh, 2 Corinthians, where it's not a fading glory that we have in the New Covenant. It's an everlasting glory. So although the ministry of condemnation was glorious, it was a fading glory. Right. It was surpassed by the new covenant, the new covenant that was in Christ's blood, which is even greater in sacrifice and greater in glory and an abounding glory that never fades away. And that is amazing. That, that, that's, that's an important distinction. And that's why Paul is bringing this up here, because we got all these Judaizers coming in and teaching that you need the law. Yeah. Okay. And he's saying, well, wait a second. What we have now is better. What we have now is much better because even Moses, who was in the presence of God, glowed when he was around the people of Israel. That diminished after a while. Yeah. It wasn't something that was everlasting. It's something that diminished. It's something that went away. What we have now in the new covenant, the covenant in, in, the, in the blood of Christ is greater. It's a greater glory and one that abounds and doesn't fade away ever. Never fades away. So the law doesn't create life. And instead, it brings forth death and, in death. and in contrast, the new covenant brings eternal life and righteousness. And, and this is where, you know, our, our perspective needs to shift a little bit, where we talked about in the last episode where, you know, what God did in the Old Testament was something that the Old Testament saints looked forward to. And, and although it didn't manifest itself and it didn't become known to them, it's become, it became known to us after the cross. Yeah. And we know what that is now. Okay. And it's an, it's about something that's eternal, something that where the death brought life. Guess what? Now the law is bringing us eternal. I mean, the law brought death. <laughs> the gospel brings us life. That's right. And there's the contrast that Paul is drawing where the law brings death. Guess what? The gospel in Christ brings eternal life. Not only that, where we felt unrighteous and our sin dogged us down and only showed us to be how hopeless we are. Now we've got righteousness in Christ and that's eternal. And that should instill, like he says here, confidence. He says that here. Uh, where is it that he says that? And, and verse 4, and such confidence we have in, through Christ toward God. That's the confidence that we have to go against these Judaizers and tell them, look, you've taken everyone back to the Old Testament. That stuff only led to death and sin. Yep, and condemnation. And condemnation. Okay, there's bigger hope, and there's a greater hope than that. And it's in the, in the New Covenant which should have been known to them all. Right. So it's interesting that Paul cleaning this up is, it's almost pulling them back from where they were. It, it, it's amazing how we all want to run back to religion to somehow satisfy that need that we have in ourselves to do something to justify ourselves. Well, do you well, know what I mean? Well, right. Well, where does that come from? It comes from pride. I mean, I, if that's the one thing that uh, deters us from the truth about um, Christ, it's, it's pride. I mean, 
that's when we read the last episode about the tax collector and the Pharisee, right? Mm -hmm. The tax collector was beating his chest and the Pharisee was prideful. I'm not like this man. And it's like, no, you just have to come into an agreeance with God that you are not good. You can't keep the law that he has created. You have transgressed it and you have way surpassed it after Jesus came and set straight what this actually means. Amen. So the law does not create life. Instead, it brings forth death and sin. In contrast, the new covenant brings about eternal life and righteousness, instilling hope and granting us the confidence and the certainty to approach God's throne. Now think about that. We just read the caution. We just saw how difficult it was for Moses, the yearning of his heart is to see the God that's leading his people and look at the caution and look at the care they have to take so that he approach carefully. We don't have that. In Christ, we can approach that throne boldly. Mm. We can approach that not by our own merit. Let's make sure that that's understood. Not by our own merit, but by what Christ has accomplished. Think about the confidence that we have where Moses, just to glow for a little while, had to be put in the cleft of a rock and covered by the hand of God because he couldn't take it all in. We have the opportunity through the sacrifice that Christ has done on the cross to have a confidence and a certainty that we can approach him completely. Completely. And through the fellowship uh, that we have with his spirit, we can anticipate the day that when we see the Savior, we'll see him face to face. So here's Moses, a mediator for his people. Okay, looking for a way to inspire his people to show that God is with them. Not just with him, because you're right, it does add credibility to him. When a man shows up from the mountain glowing and he's got the law of God in his hand, guess what? They had no question in their mind. Yo, Moses is in tight with the Lord. (laughs) Right. And the Bible says he was a friend of God. There's no question about that. But even with that intimacy, we've got it better than that. Not that we're better than the Old Testament no, no, saints. No, Remember, no. Yeah. We, we, they believed in the same salvation that we've come to understand in Christ. If anything, they kind of have greater faith because they, you know what I'm saying? Like they were looking or hoping for the future of what God had promised them. You know, and you bring up an interesting point because I think about the conversation that uh, Christ had in um, with the disciples after he resurrected. Thomas was absent the first time that he appeared to the yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 disciples. And um, on the second occasion that he spoke to them that way, Thomas was there and Thomas was asked, hey, listen, because he had said, if, unless I see him you know, face to face and put my hand into his wound, I won't believe that that was Christ. And Jesus said, OK, here I am. Take your hand and put it in my wound. And he fell down and said, what? My, my Lord, my, my God. God. He realized who he was standing before. And Jesus words right after that was. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Mm. So we're kind of in the same situation, yeah, too. Yeah. You're right. The Old Testament saints, you got to give them credit. And that's why we were reading Hebrews the last episode, because when you go down the Hall of Fame of all those saints that are listed there, they had great faith. Yeah. Faith that we should emulate. Faith that uh, on, on what was unseen, right? You walk by sight, 
by faith, not by sight. And we're doing the same thing. We're walking in our faith, understanding what's coming as well, too, that this intimacy that, that Moses craved and he had to be protected from, we have it in full measure in Christ. And that one day we'll see the Savior face to face. What a better mediator Christ is than Moses. Not to minimize him, he was awesome, but there's one better. That's right. Okay, the same way that the priests, the high priest can only atone for the sin of Israel for one year until next year came around, he had to do it all over again. The high priest himself, the better priest, Christ, came and did away with that once and for all. He was the sacrifice offered once and for all. Okay, I'm going to read, I, I, I would like to read the second half of chapter 9 of Hebrew, uh, of Hebrews 9. Oh, okay. I was going to go there. Dude, I'm like, <laughs> well, because dead. Because the last, the last episode, you know, we read the first half of it, and it's cool that we're drawing now the conclusion of the high priest. Let's Christ. let the listeners in on this a little bit. When we yeah. prepare for these podcasts, we pick a topic. And we separately go and prepare. And it's just amazing. We're looking at each other here and we're just like, wow, God is great. Because right. we usually swerve into the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we compliment what we're talking about. But yeah, I was going to go there with you, bro. Go ahead. All right. So verse 11 of chapter 9 in Hebrews. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy places once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Amen. For, should I continue? Yeah, if you want, okay. okay. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Amen. Which is really cool. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which God commanded you. And in the same way, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, he sprinkled with blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of these things in the heavens to be cleansed with these things. Now, that's interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'll continue reading and we can talk about that. But that, when I read that, I was like, wait, what? But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter holy places made with hands, mere copies of the true ones, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy places year by year with blood that is not his own, 
Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes a judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await oh, him. Dude, dude that, that, that clears it up. Right I met there. you there. <laughs> I was going there. Yeah, we need to discuss this. Yeah. You're absolutely right to bring up this text, dude. Let me tell you something. There's a lot there. And you're right. It, it does cause you to pause when you read that whole not copies of the true one in verse 24. Yeah. Okay. If anything, Christian, if anything, it confirms what we've been teaching here. Okay, what happened in the Old Testament and all those things that God commanded in the Mosaic law, these were things that foreshadowed what was to come. It's a copy of what was heavenly. Right. Okay, except it's just here on earth made by the hands of men. Very, very different from what Christ was accomplishing. So there's almost like a parallel. All this Mosaic law was a picture pointing us to how this was going to lead us to a savior. Right. It fell short, the Mosaic law, of providing an eternal solution. Right. You know, you gave your the blood of bulls and goats and it washed away forever. That would have settled it, but that wasn't the case. No. The Mosaic law was very clear about that. When you sin, you had to go back because right. the law never dealt with sin. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's just man cannot keep it. But yet here comes Christ. And he walks into a temple, not one made by man, right. which is just a copy. I don't want to say a cheap copy, but a copy of heaven. Okay. And the heavenly things. And what does he do? He cleanses it the same way. Yeah. Except it's not bulls and goats this time. Right. It's his own blood. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before. When God brought his lamb to sacrifice on the cross, he didn't hold back. He gave the very best. He gave it all. Yeah, yeah. And that took care of it once and for all. And I just picture Jesus as like, you know, the Jews were were so um, used to, you know, especially the high priest, right? Used to walking through the uh, the holy place and then going through the veil or sacrificing, covering their sin and the sin of the people and then going into the most holy place. And it's this beautiful picture that I get in my mind of Jesus doing that because, again, it's a copy of what's already in heaven. So it's like God is giving Moses how to build a tabernacle, and it's just a shadow and a copy of what heaven is like, right? Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is doing the exact same thing that these priests are doing. It's like side by, almost like a side-by-side -side picture, except that Jesus is doing it better. Because like you said, it's not that Jesus is offering animals or anything. Jesus is offering his own blood. And it's impossible for... It's actually the father offering his son a better land. There you go. There which you is go. a parallel to Abraham offering his own son. Right, That's right, also right. a foreshadowing of what God had in store for the future. Right, right. Yeah, I just, I, that's, it's just very fascinating to me um, where, you know, I, 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 in Hebrews where he says that it's a, it's a copy of the things in heaven. Uh, to be cleansed with these things. And you just like, now it's, it draws this different picture of, of heaven and where the glory of God is. And I just love how, you know, Jesus is the one that appears in the presence of God for us. It's no longer this high priest, 
um, it's Jesus himself. He's a better high priest. Oh, yeah. Way, way better. Yeah, it's a mind-blowing piece of scripture. So Christ accomplished in one death what the Old Testament sacrifice bulls and goats could never achieve. It was a payment made in Christ's own blood in the most holy place in heaven, the presence of the living God. That's the difference. That's the difference. Right, right. They were making sacrifices on some temple on the ground. Christ comes, gives of his own blood, and the holy place he enters into is the presence of the living God. And his sacrifice is made once and for all, for those before and after the cross, for all believers who put their faith in the promise of a Savior. So, so it's really the Lord who has pitched this tent. It's not, I mean, we always look at it from the earthly level, right? We look at it from our earthly level. I know, and level. that's where we get stuck. I know. <laughs> And this, I mean, Hebrews 10, but also Hebrews 8, in the beginning of Hebrews 8, it just clarifies that it's like the Lord is mimicking what's happening where he's at. And so he's trying to get us to see what is happening. And again, are you saying that what was done in the de- in the desert with the tabernacle and what ultimately was done in Jerusalem with that temple was all just foreshadowing the high priest that was to come sacrifice his own blood, not in some earthly holy of holy place? This is giving me chills, dude. Yeah. Okay. Which yeah. was just a, 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 a veil. Okay. Right. A place where you went beyond the veil and sacrifice and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant where the angels stood. I mean, this is Christ himself showing it up, doing it himself in heaven in the very presence of God. It's exactly what the Jews have been doing in Israel all those years. Christ shows up and he does it himself in the presence of a holy God once and for all. Dude, that's mind-blowing. Of course it is. It is mind-blowing. And verse, again, verse 1 in uh, chapter 8 confirms the same thing that uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying in chapter, what was it that we read? I think in chapter 9 with the new covenant. Uh, We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places and in the true tabernacle. This is not a tabernacle. It's a true tabernacle. The true one. Right, which the Lord pitched, again, confirming that this is not man, a man-made tabernacle. This is a heavenly tabernacle. And obviously, right after that, it says not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice. So it's necessary that the high priest also have something to offer. And Jesus had something to offer. It was his his own life and his own blood. Man, I hope you guys are getting this out there. This is some deep stuff. And let me tell you something. It is a testimony to how God's word is true. There is just nothing like it. I'm going to blow you away even more. Let's go to Romans 3, verse 24 through 25. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 to 25. Okay? In the same In the same vein of what we're just talking about, it says in those verses, for Christ did not enter the holy places. Now, this is Paul talking in the book of Romans. For Christ did not enter. What verse are you in? I'm sorry. uh, 24, 25. Oh, okay. Romans chapter 3. For Christ did not enter holy places made with hands, mere copies of true ones. But So he's referring to what we just read, right? Now to appear in the presence of God for us, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which Christ, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith for a demonstration of his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. Mm. 
Now, this goes back to what we were talking about before, how the Old Testament saints, when they looked at the tabernacle and they looked at the temple and they were seeing the high priest going in and making his sacrifice, they were looking beyond that and hoping for the day when God would provide a way that that's not needed anymore. And it says it right here, for a demonstration of his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. To me, that says that all... All those saints that had faith in God providing that appropriation for sin, propropriation for sin, it finally was accomplished in Christ so that those who put faith in God's covenant have been redeemed under this new covenant because those sins that have been previously committed have been passed over. Do you get my meaning? Yeah. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that when Jesus entered into those holy places, he was just not giving salvation to those who came after the cross and saw what God did to sacrifice his son for the sins of the world. Mm. It's all those who committed sin previously, anticipating that time when the high priest from heaven would come. So Christ David, himself, Solomon, all, all those men. That... What Christ did on the cross, what Christ did on the cross was for everybody. Everybody, including, including those that weren't with us anymore, but anticipated this because all their sins were being covered, including those that were being previously covered. Or at least everybody who had faith in the Old exactly, Testament. Exactly, yes. Good point. But that's... Obviously, that's the thing. That's why we read Hebrews. That's the faith that all these heroes of the faith had. They had faith in that promise. And when Christ shows up, not with a mere copy of a temple, but the actual temple itself, and goes before the presence of God, and because of this demonstration of his righteousness, look, the previously sins, that means the people who believed in him, although they didn't know who he was, Christ took care of it at the cross. Wow. That's... Wow. I mean, God didn't even leave him in the dust. He is kind in his promise. He is faithful in his promise. And he met that need that he knew that they needed. That is just amazing. So God's mercy and grace extends beyond time and space. Before the coming of Christ, he lovingly overlooked the sins of those who believed in him. However, it was through Christ's ultimate sacrifice that the act of overlooking those sins became righteous and complete. That's what I get from Romans chapter 3 here, that their righteousness is complete. Their faith in God is complete. You know how we talk about that Abraham was was, righteousness was accrued to him because of the faith that he had? Well, it becomes complete after the cross. It's Christ's ultimate sacrifice that uh, that the act of God's overlooking the sins sins of, of, of those men until that time came when righteous when when Christ made it right that it became complete. It serves as a powerful reminder of God's unfailing love and his desire for all to experience redemption and salvation through faith in Jesus. It is a testament of the transforming power of Christ's work and the hope that we have in him. It's not just hope for those after the cross. It was hope for those before the cross because until Jesus showed up, they put their faith in the right place. They put it in God. They put it in in the right place on the promises of God, but it did not become complete until Christ did what he did on the cross. I hope this answers questions for people who you know, ask about like the people who have sinned in the Old Testament that were chosen by God, uh, meaning like Abraham, David, Moses, uh, you know, Solomon. I mean, you, you see Solomon. Solomon had how many wives? A thousand. 700 wives and 300 concubines. 
and and then and then he uh uh didn't he sacrifice to other gods um yeah and he ended up you know obviously worshiping other god other gods and you know it's it's like does god look over that i, I don't think so i don't think he looks he over doesn't it look over sin but he knows that it's there but he knows that the promise that he's going to be making in the future david more importantly they had faith in the promise that that's God what I'm made saying. Them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like what is the factor here? The factor is the faith that they had in the promise of God that they would, you know, that a, a new covenant would come. You know, a, a, the promise that God had made to them that the Messiah would come. It's like they had faith in that, and it's no different than now. Like I mean, you got to look at faith in Christ. You are saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. Amen. Those men were saved by faith through grace and not of themselves. It's not what they did. It's not that David was a man after God's own heart that got him into heaven. It was that he had faith in God. It's, 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 it's cool. That's, this is a good place for a good break. Yeah. We'll come back, we'll continue the excitement. We'll be right back, folks. We are privileged and excited that you joined us today. Please remember to visit our episode notes. They contain links to scripture, any information we reference during the show, and a link to join our mailing list to receive the latest show news and updates. If you want to send us your questions, provide feedback, or submit an idea for a future episode, we want to hear from you. Just use the Join the Conversation link provided to contact us. Want to get to know us better? Then we encourage you to use the Core Truth Media link provided in our episode notes to visit our coretruthmedia.org homepage. You can connect with us via social networks from that page and explore the diverse range of podcasts and high-quality content our ministry offers to those seeking to deepen their understanding of the Bible and grow in their faith. Finally, we invite you to help us communicate God's truth throughout the globe. Anyone can listen to the show for free everywhere podcasts are available. Click the listen and follow link in our episode notes and share it with your friends and family. You'll be glad you did. We appreciate your support. Now let's get back to our show. All right, welcome back, folks. You know, we're just completely giddy <laughs> during these breaks, waiting to get back to you guys because what we have in our hands is like a hot potato. Okay, but let's 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 put a cap on this before we move off, and then we close out this teaching in chapter three of Second Corinthians because this is really a, a, a profound moment in in Scripture, and it's it's really an awakening, I think, for a lot of people when we think about this. But the picture that we're painting here is that everything that God told the Jews, and make no mistake, and we talked about this after we recorded the last episode, Christian and I, that you know. Nowhere in Scripture do you see God making promises and covenants with Gentiles. Mm, mm -hmm. That's absolutely clear that we understand, okay? The Jews are not left out of any of this. It's through them that we get the oracles, the Scriptures say. That's, we get the Word of God through them, okay? But any promise that God has made to man has been made through the Jews. Now, if we remember the promise and the covenant that he made with Abraham, he promised to make him a nation and that the Gentiles right. would be blessed by him. And that's where we're at. So this is, this is God completing his promises, covering his promises, and fulfilling what he had promised the saints of old. We got a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to be thankful for. But make no mistake, God is not finished with the Jews. Yeah. The promises were made to them. We're beneficiaries of that, but he is not finished with them. And we'll get into that a little bit later out when we talk about the lifting of the veil. 
But everything that they were told through the Mosaic law, everything that God commanded that they do here on earth, the tabernacle, the temple, sacrifices, um, the law, um, ceremonies, all those things were a picture of what he was ultimately going to do with his son, but not on some copy, not some, some temple here on earth. That is only a representation of what was to come, which is Christ coming into the true temple, into the true presence of God, and sprinkling his blood in the face of God, in the presence of God, and ultimately paying for sin completely. And this is something that we can't miss because there are many old saints believers that understood that this was the promise, that someone was going to come and fulfill that. They may have not known his name was going to be Jesus Christ. Right. Okay. But like we said in the last episode, the Magi were, were wise enough to discern from the scriptures that a savior was born and that he would be born in Jerusalem. The scripture said he would. But this is exactly what God was, what, what, what the temple represents and all this Mosaic law, all it points to is Christ. This is why Christ so boldly says, look in the scriptures because they speak of me. Right. And even the road to Emmaus we can go to. When those guys were leaving Jerusalem and saying, oh, man, we thought he was the one. And Jesus, no, he takes them through all the scripture and shows them, don't you know that all this needed to happen? I mean, that is the story. That is the good news. That's the gospel. And the gospel was present there at the temple. It right. just was a mystery to them. They didn't know how God was going to manifest or, or, or make good on his covenant. But the picture of how he's going to do it was very clear. Right, the right. high priest would go into the temple and make that sacrifice for all the nation. I just had this thought, and I don't know if it, if if it, it if it fits into into this. I I don't know. Maybe you can kind of help me um, decipher this, but because you were talking about how um, you know God doesn't do it on earth; it was just a mere copy. Uh, and a foreshadowing, right, of what he was actually doing in heaven with Jesus, right? Yeah, just the to Father. be ultra, just to be ultra clear, okay. I'm going to show you it's this promise to get rid of sin once and for all. I'm going to show you what it looks like, and that's the Mosaic law. That's all the temple ceremonies and all that sacrifice. Okay. This is what it's going to look like, except it's going to be done by Christ. Right. That's the high priest that's going to do it once and for all. That's pretty much it. I mean, because I think of Jesus and how he said that Satan is the ruler of this world. So you do you really think that God would do what he does with Jesus on earth? on earth like I, I mean i'm just trying to draw this conclusion that this is I, this might be coming out of left field but Where like you going um you know like G, like we just read in hebrews chapter what is it chapter 10 where it's a copy of these things right so it's nine verse uh chapter nine it's a mere copy of what god is doing uh, jesus is doing in the heavenly places before the throne of god so technically all this stuff obviously jesus dies on a cross here on earth but what is really happening is spiritual. It's in the heavenly places that all these sins are getting atoned for. I, it, no, you're not lost, and I'm going to clarify yeah, for you, like, brother. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? I'm going to clarify this for you. Remember, when Christ was on earth, he preached the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom. Right. And that's what we're talking about. Forget about this earth, okay? We, we know that the devil rules the system and everything involved with it. Think about it. Even when Jesus himself was tempted... 
what did he tempt Jesus with? I will promise to give you all of this can be yours. Right. And why would he give something that's not his? So the kingdom that God is building is not on this earth. Right. And that's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that God wouldn't do what Hebrews is saying on earth, although he does on the cross, right? Like the whole tabernacle idea, right? God doesn't do it on earth because the Jews were doing it and it wasn't cover- it wasn't forgiving any sin. It was just covering their sin for, 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 for the time being, you know, it was just ceremonial things. And now God's like, I got you one better. Uh, Jesus is going to die on the cross. But all these things really are taking place, and it's a copy of what the Jews were doing in the Old Testament. Does it make sense? Not only, not only was it a copy, Christian, it was happening at the same time. Because at the very moment that our Lord and Savior was hanging on a cross, giving his last breath and dropping his and giving his every ounce of his blood for the sinner, sacrifices were going on in the temple at the same time. Right, right, right. So what God commanded through the law was being done not too far from where Christ was suffering and dying. Yeah. That's wild. Because as the same way that everybody was showing up at the temple with their bull and goat Mm. and the high priest was going in to offer sacrifice for the nation of Israel, God showed up with his own lamb. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's the lamb of God. That's right. On the same high holy day that everyone else is atoning for their sins and for the sins of Israel. God showed up and said, okay, remember that system I gave you? I'm going to do it too, except I'm bringing my own lamb. Here it is. And it's done. And it's way better. And why did the veil break? Because that system was done. It's over. The veil broke because it wasn't needed anymore. Because when Jesus, when God showed up with his lamb and, and, and Christ as the high priest gave his blood on the tabernacle in heaven, the temple in heaven, and sprinkled that tabernacle in heaven, it was done once and for all. That's why the temple veil broke. It this... wasn't needed. The system wasn't needed anymore. God took care of it forever. And those Jews who understood the scripture and saw Christ fulfilling that scripture would have understood that. And many of them did, but many of them sadly did not. Yeah, I could imagine just Jews, like, they see that temple veil of Torah, and they're like, oh, are we going to die? Are we going to, you know? (laughs) And it's like, there's two different uh, perspectives on that. I mean, is it the Holy Spirit leaving and tearing that, or is it Jesus tearing the veil and saying, this is over and done with? No, that's that's the kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming. That's the Jesus. That's a, the kingdom he was proclaiming was the kingdom that was to come, and 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 those things had no place anymore. Right, right, right. Once the Lamb of God goes into the heavenly places and sacrifices and puts his blood on the altar, you don't need that stuff anymore, dude. Mm-hmm. That's done. Yeah, that's sorry done. guys, I was thinking out loud. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good that you yeah, went yeah, there yeah. because we've reached some clarity. Some clarity here. Yeah, yeah. And and make no. And we're going to get into this a little bit later on. Make no mistake. That system rocked them because that that, that whole event rocked their whole system because this is what they lived by. Right, right. When that veil broke, I mean, they they had nothing. I mean, they were done. They were done. Now we're moving into a new era where Christ is. You know, Christianity evolves out of Judaism. Okay, and it's no longer sacrificing at the temple. Christ is the propitiation of that sin, like we read in Romans. He's the payment for that sin. Something God we couldn't do ourselves. God had to show up and do it Himself. And right. now the old old the old system is gone. We have a new hope in Christ. We have a better High Priest. Okay, and like the scriptures say, He also says that He's the new Adam. He's a new of one of many to come. And now the whole relationship with man and God changes. 
where unlike we read with Moses, where he can only glow for a little while in the presence of God because there's only so much that he can take in because you can't approach God face to face. Right. Here we are after the cross through Christ. We can approach him boldly. And the New Testament talks about that. Paul talks about that. We can approach the throne of Christ boldly because of what God has done through his son. That temple system is gone because it's not needed anymore. Right. Because what we failed to be able to do in keeping the law, Christ did for us. Now it's a matter of us having faith in that work that Christ has done so that we can look forward to the day when we can see God face to face the way Moses wanted to see him, right. but see him fully. Yeah. And that's our hope for today. And that's the hope that is to come. And that's the hope that we read in verse 12. Therefore, having such hope of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness. So that future suffering is that 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 present suffering of Christ is a future glory for us. Look, I'm going to read from first Peter chapter one. And let me go to verse five on that. First Peter chapter one. Verse three to five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. So here, living hope through the resurrection of Christ. So his sacrifice on the throne is, is not the only part of that. Him giving his blood for us is one thing, but to him pop out of the grave and show us new life, to give us hope that there's life beyond the grave. Christ yeah. was the only one who provided that. And what he brings to the table with his sacrifice is something that the old system could never do. It's undefiled. It will never fade. And it's being kept in heaven for us. That's awesome. The temple couldn't do that. We're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that was revealed in this last time. And this is Peter saying revealed now. So all this hope that we had from the promises of God in the Old Testament that we would have a suffering Savior, it's here. And that protected by God in heaven through salvation in Jesus Christ. And it won't fade. It's undefiled. It's perfect. And it's an inheritance that's incorruptible. That hope takes away the fear and despair that 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 man in the temple beating on his chest can finally put aside and believe in Christ. It replaces what he the system that he had and he can put his future in Christ because right. Christ will glorify him in the end when we see him face to face. So that's what the new covenant does. It takes away the fear and despair that the old covenant had in this temple mosaic law, uh, laws that we could not keep. We have new hope in Christ, new hope for the believer who believes in Christ. Right. And unlike Moses, there's no fear that the blazing glory of God would harm us and devastate us as sinners. That's taken away forever. And that's why we went back and read that text in the Old Testament, because there was a fear when you approached God. That's right. That you would be devastated by him. That fear is gone through Christ. We can approach him boldly. 
if you have faith in the work, finished work of Christ on the cross. And that's the key. Amen. Without Christ, you don't have this hope. You're still that tax collector beating your hand in, on your chest saying, oh, God, forgive me, a sinner, for something that Christ gave his life for already. Right, right. You know, and some of these believers in the Corinthian church were going back to that system. Paul must have been like, what are you guys doing? You're, gonna, you're, you're giving up a future hope of glory for this to go back to this? Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. You know, that's, that's look, Paul's not the only one to face that issue. You face that as a pastor in the church, no matter what. Because people always, like I started to say before, people always, for some reason, want to go back and feel that they have to have a hand in their own salvation. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, absolutely nothing. What Christ accomplished in the heavenly places when he came before the throne of God and, and threw his blood into, into, the, into the altar for ultimate sacrifice for, for everyone, that's, he was the only one who was able to accomplish that. Well, it's not grace if you contribute anything to it. You know, it's not, it's not a free gift, as Paul says in Romans if you contribute anything to salvation. This drama that's unfolding before us when we read our scripture and what God has done for mankind to redeem him, it's an amazing thing when you look at it in the perspective that we've been kind of painting here. And I'm, hope, I'm hoping and praying that everyone's understanding our words and seeing just how wonderful and beautiful our God is, that he is so graceful and that he is so loving towards us that he provided this lamb for us in the most holy place in the whole universe, in his presence, he took his own son and shattered him for us. What a wonderful picture. You're not going to see that anyplace else no. except in the Holy Bible. That's right. No other religion is going gonna, is gonna to provide that for you. Can I read Jeremiah 31? Just a couple it. of verses here. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, God, this is the Old Testament, right? And God is proclaiming a new covenant. Um, and we know he, Hebrews actually mentions, the writer of Hebrews mentions this verse, but listen to what God says. Behold, verse 31 of chapter 31 of Jeremiah, Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will cut a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I cut with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Amen. My covenant which they broke, but I was a husband to them, declares Yahweh. But this is the covenant which I will cut with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. This Amen. is the Old Testament. Amen. Here. We even swerved into some of the bride of Christ in there. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because they played the harlot with God yeah. all the time and, yeah. and just went against him. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, let's talk about a little bit about the lifting of the veil. Okay, we talked about oh, yeah. the veil, how it was broken when Christ gave himself on the, on the cross. But if we look at, at verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, And not like Moses, who was used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the, conscious, at the consequence of what was being brought to an end. In other words, that whole system that old covenant was being brought to an end and they were afraid to look at 
this glowing Moses because of the consequences. And we just talked about that, that we don't have those consequences in Christ. We can go boldly before Christ and look directly at his glory because in him, in Christ, is everything that God is in him. We can look at him face to face. Now, seeing all this, right, but their heart, and this is Paul directing it towards the Jews now, okay, and how they responded to God fulfilling his covenant. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened. And until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it was brought to an end in Christ. So what Paul is saying is here, that old system, that old system, that, that the veil that got torn that no longer is needed, to this day, the Jews are still hanging on to it. Now, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians back in the early church. We see that today. Right, right. Many Jews are saved, but there are many, many more that are still holding on to that old system. Right. And to this very day, they still hang on to that old covenant, co co uh, covenant as if it hasn't been unfulfilled. And their veil still remains unlifted. That problem that existed in, in, in those days still exists today. And verse 15, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil still lies over their heart. It's interesting because understanding Christ and understanding his sacrifice and understanding that he is the promised suffering servant that they were looking for, they don't see it. And they don't see it, and therefore the veil still remains on their eyes. And this goes back to what I was saying in the last episode at the very beginning and why we're digging into this text and scripture. Because you must understand. Okay, the Old Testament cannot be fully understood without Christ. That's right. Because you'll have this veil that will never be taken away, ever, because you don't understand. The Old Testament cannot be fully understood without Christ. The work God accomplished through Christ in the New Testament removes that veil. And God personally reveals himself to the believer who trusts in Christ through faith. And this is what Paul is talking about there in verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil still lies over their heart. So is the veil um, not with a new covenant in mind, pretty much? No, the truth of how God fulfilled that new covenant the truth is hidden from them. Yeah, but did they and know the new did they know the new covenant? Well, that's the whole thing. They're not understanding what the old covenant was pointing to because they're missing the point on how God fulfilled right, it right. in the new covenant. And because they don't understand what God is pointing to in the old covenant right. and what that it was all pointing to Christ, they're still stuck in the old ceremonies. They're still stuck on the old sacraments. They're still stuck like these Judaizers were bringing into the Corinth church coming to the believers and saying, yeah, you're saying you're saved, but you still need to do this. You still need to do right, that. Right, right, right. Okay, that's all gone. There's no reason to do any of that. Christ did away with that. And the fact that you're still doing it, you didn't understand what God was accomplishing to begin with. Right. And if you don't understand what God is accomplishing to begin with, that means that when you read the Old Testament, you're not understanding it. Right. Because if you read it, okay, and God opened up your understanding and you had the heart that was open enough to understand what God was trying to accomplish, you would get it and that veil would fall away. The perfect example of this is Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. That's right. The Pharisee of Pharisees. That's right. This is a guy. Now, Paul, I love Paul. Amazing man, and I cannot wait to see him in heaven. But don't forget who he was. He was going around murdering Christians. He was getting permission from the temple in Jerusalem, from the, from the Jews in Jerusalem, to go out and hunt these people down and kill them. 
and bring him to justice. He was holding the coats of everybody who was stoning Stephen. Yeah. His eyes were veiled. It took him, it took Christ putting his face into the dirt and making him look at who Christ was and what Christ accomplished to drop that veil from his eyes. And he finally saw, and he finally, this is the man who's teaching us now as we read 2 Corinthians, he's the author of it. This is a man that has been there where to this day, the veil was lying over his heart. He was a righteous Jew, the most righteous of all. And he thought he had it all figured out, but he was deceiving himself. Yeah. Like we read in the last episode in Romans, all the law did was deceive him. And, and the point that Paul is making here in Second Corinthians and in these few verses is that their hearts are hardened until this very day. They can read the scripture and they don't understand it. And the veil to them still remains unlifted. Thankfully, Paul, his veil was unlifted was lifted and he could see because we have most of the New Testament that right. God inspired him to write. But their hearts were hardened. And that's true of someone that you present the gospel to today. I was today. just going to say there's not hope lost for those who have that veil over their eyes and their hearts. You can present the gospel very clearly. Yeah. But if their heart is hardened, they're not going to see it. Now, as far as the new covenant and understanding the new covenant, which is the purpose of this episode and the past episode as well, too, is that you cannot understand the Old Testament and what God was accomplishing and the promises of God that he was making to his people who had faith in his promises, you cannot understand how God accomplished those things to Christ if you don't understand the Old Testament. That's right. And we, I go back to the road to Emmaus. Like I said before, those guys, I mean, Jesus had to give them a Bible study on the road so they can understand dudes. <laughs> this is what was supposed to happen. Don't you get it? As a matter of fact, he says to him, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Luke 24, 25. You're being foolish by reading the scripture and not believing what the prophets have already said is going to happen. Let me show you. Boom, boom, boom. And he goes through the whole Old Testament and shows them how this needed to happen. And Paul undoubtedly knew this truth because his eyes remained unveiled until he was confronted by Christ. That's just how it is, Christian. I hope that clarifies it for you. And I hope no, it, it clarifies for everyone out there. But Christ accomplished, he accomplished it all. He accomplished it all. Now let's move a little bit into um, verse 17 of Second Corinthians. Now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit is, there is freedom. Now, let me read 18 as well. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, to understand that is to understand that the Old Testament saints were saved. Those who had their faith in, in, in God and the promises of God, are they saved Absolutely. We covered it when we started this episode, how that faith that they put in God was accomplished and made full when Christ died on a cross, that it became complete without Christ coming to establish a new covenant in his blood. The old covenant could not have been fulfilled. So I ask you something. We talk a lot about being born again. Born again is something that most people will hear. I'm a born again Christian and they associate that with the New Testament. OK, I'm going to tell you that that's not right. OK, let's go to chapter three of, of John. 
Okay? Chapter 3. We all know this. You must be born again. Again, we're reading from the LSB. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I ask you something. Has Jesus died on a cross at this point? No. Is the Holy Spirit come on day of Pentecost yet? No. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again. Born again is not a New Testament concept. Being born again is an Old Testament concept as well, too. Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, How can it be that a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the womb, his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, to his credit, is saying, Wait a second, I've just lived a whole life as a Pharisee, like our boy Paul. Right. Okay? Living by the Mosaic law, becoming a leader, okay, in Jerusalem. He was the teacher of Israel. You mean I got to go back to the beginning and start all over again? How do you unlearn what you have learned? Right. And Jesus puts a, a, another, he repeats it again almost in another way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water, and Jews would know what that is because there's so much cleansing in the ceremonial uh, um, things that they do at the temple. You've got to cleanse yourself and you've got to go and, and, and wash yourself. But he's saying not only do you have to be cleansed, but you have to be by cleansed by water and the Spirit, or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I bring you to chapter 3 of John because born again is not a new concept. Was Moses born again? Did he have the Spirit of God in him? Maybe not to the full extent that we have because we have the... We, remember, the temple existed where the Spirit of God resided. They wanted to see God. They went and they sacrificed in his presence and he was in the tabernacle. He was in the temple. Okay, remember the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in the upper room. You've had the Spirit with you. Now the Spirit will be in you. So right. along with this new covenant, not only does, is there an, a, a, a fulfilling of God's promises to the Old Testament saints, there's also a greater, uh, a, more, a more full um, um, presence of God with believers, where in the Old Testament, you know, we saw it with Saul. Saul had the Spirit of God with him, but the moment he disobeyed him and God left him. I mean, right. we don't have that after the cross. When the Spirit comes to reside in you, it comes to reside in you forever. That's why the New Testament talks about that we are the temple of God, because there's no use for a temple anymore. The Spirit of God is no longer behind walls, behind a veil. The Spirit of God is in you. Right. The Spirit of God is in you. And here, what strikes me about this conversation is that here's an Old Testament conversation because Christ hasn't gone to the cross. And what's Jesus instructing Nicodemus to do? you got to be born again. That means that the Old Testament saints understood that in order to, to, to enter the kingdom of God, I know David did because if you read Psalm 51, when he gets caught in his sin with Bathsheba, he goes pleading to God, create in me a new heart. How do you create a new heart in someone when Jeremiah says that the, the heart of man is deceitful and, and wicked? 
Right. You know, the depravity of man and and his sinfulness, we already saw that the law of God, all it does is to serve, to, to, to show you just how sinful you are and how in need of a Savior you are. Yet David pleaded with God in Psalm 51, create in me a new heart. Because they understood that the only way that we can enter the kingdom of God, the only way that we can become what God wanted us to believe is to be a new creation. Okay, They may not have understood that in the Old Testament as being a new creation in Christ, but we understand that to be now because the temple in those days had the Spirit of God in the presence of his people. Now the Spirit of God, just like Moses had the Spirit of God shown on him and on him, but it would fade and it wouldn't last, now the Spirit of God can be in us. That's right. And it would never fade. He doesn't need to reside in the temple. He resides in our hearts. He resides in our lives. That, that, that brilliance, that magnificent, that glory shines now through us. And David understood that because when he cried to God to not let, don't take your spirit away from me. He knew he needed God. And he knew he needed a new heart when he fell into sin. So Jesus talking to Nicodemus and saying, you must be born again. This man, the Jews who were understanding of the scriptures knew what that meant. It meant that you had to be born again. If you wanted to follow God, you had to put aside your sin and who you are, and you had to be born again. The law was not going to do that for you. But if you were a faithful Jew, you knew that God was going to fulfill his, his promise and provide someone that would. Right, right. And when finally Jesus showed up and he did, guess what? That faith that God, that, that those men, those righteous saints of old, men and women, put in God was fulfilled in Christ. It was finally accomplished for them. Jesus, when he died on the cross, didn't come to just save New Testament believers. He came to save all believers who trusted in what his plan was from the very beginning. And we talked about that. Genesis. Yeah. That promise was made all the way back in the garden when the seed of the woman was going to crush Satan's head and bruise Jesus' heel. It's an amazing conversation, and it's a perspective I wanted to share with you, Christian, and I wanted to share with our listeners because this is we have to have an open mind when we read the, the Scripture. We have to not interpret it into what our understanding based right. on our contemporary experiences and the life that we live now. We really need to understand what's happened historically. We need to understand the Old Testament and what God has laid out before us to fully understand what he was accomplishing in Christ. Remember, he did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. And part of that fulfilling of the law meant that you had to get a new heart because the old heart wasn't going to do it for you. And with the new covenant under the blood of Jesus, guess what? We have, we have an opportunity to have that new heart because we take on the spirit of God, right? Because when one comes to, to, to Christ and you believe in Christ and you say, as your savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of God comes to dwell in you, to manifest himself in and through you. You want a new heart? Give yourself to Jesus. You want a new heart in the Old Testament? Give yourself into the promises of God and how he will provide for us a savior, how sin will no longer be an issue and we can approach God, not with fear, but with boldness. And we can do that after the cross and it's become super clear after Christ. That's why Christ is such an amazing, pivotal 
point in history that just changed everything. Yeah, it really does. Because change so much, so many of the mysteries that Paul even talks about in the in the New Testament were made clear. Things that did we didn't understand. Guess what? Now we understand it because of Christ. So the concept of being born again is not exclusive to the New Testament. I think it's a concept that Jews understood. I just think that they needed to understand what God was accomplishing in the Old Testament. And when Christ came, connected to Christ, and the light bulb would have went off on their heads. It, it, it would have. And this is the thing, if you remember, even the, even the disciples and the apostles struggled with that. Many of the things that Christ taught them, they didn't understand. Yeah, it didn't but stick. he would promise them and say, don't worry, the day is coming that much of what I'm telling you, you will not understand. But when the teacher comes, That's when right. the Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will understand these things. And many times in the New Testament, they reflected back on the things that Jesus taught them. And now they un reflected back on them with clarity because they had the Spirit of God opening up their understanding of the Scriptures. They weren't right. trying to discern for themselves using their own wisdom and their own discernment and their own faculties. They were counting on God to illuminate the Scriptures for them, and their understanding came one, right, wide open that they reflected on the things that Jesus did and the things that he, that, that, that he accomplished and the things that they saw. And they said, oh, now I get it. Right. Look at the guys on the road to Emmaus. Once Jesus opened up the scripture to them, they said their hearts burned. They were so excited that, wow, now we get it. Or, or the, the, the guy that, um, was it the tunic, was it? That was reading Isaiah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Philip, Philip, who goes Philip to the uh, to, eunuch. Eunuch, I said tunic. Tunic, <laughs> tunic is something you wear. <laughs> but look at the eunuch who was sitting. I wish somebody yeah. would explain Isaiah to me. And Philip shows up out of nowhere, explains it to him, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, I got to get baptized now." Right, right. He got the gospel. Yeah, he understood once it was made clear to them. It's so important, folks, that we dove, dive into the scripture and we try to understand what it says and understand it not from our perspective, but the way God meant it to be understand, right. understood. Because if one thing is made clear in those few verses I read, um, uh, where is it? There's 17. Uh, no, the other ones that, uh, where it wasn't made clear to them. Oh, 13 and 14, where their hearts and their minds were hardened. Don't be like that. Don't harden your heart about what God is trying to show you. Open up your heart to what he's trying to show you and open and he will open up your understanding to what he's trying to show you. Old or New Testament, it doesn't matter. It all ties together. And I think we've tied it together pretty well in these couple of episodes in a way that hopefully gives people a fresh perspective. Would you say that we accomplished that? I mean, yeah, I think it's, it brings a lot of clarity on the spirit I mean, again, Paul talking about for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. There's a purpose for the spirit. Um, and in chapter and verse 17, he says, the Lord is the spirit. So if you have the spirit who is the Lord that dwells in you, um, the letter of the spirit is in the new covenant by which it comes uh, by the letter of the Lord. <laughs> is uh the letter of the law the letter of the law the letter of the well no no the letter of the spirit is what oh, i meant oh, to say gotcha, gotcha. the letter of the spirit in this new covenant comes through the lord right Amen. um and there is now freedom in turning to the lord you're on verse 17 yeah uh, yep so it's not it's not like moses where he wore the veil when he spoke to the people it's now or it's now face unveiled and what moses was able to do in the old testament before god right 
we're able to do now because of the Spirit. Why don't you go ahead and read verse 18, and we can close out with that. Uh, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, when I hear being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, what is it that you think of? I know from me. I mean, it says it right in Scripture. We are being transformed into Christ. We're being transformed into an image of Christ. That's who we're supposed to be right. imitating. Okay? And, and this speaks to sanctification. Okay? With an unveiled face, beholding in a mirror. Now, we look in a mirror and we see very clearly who we are. But understand, this is an Eastern book. Mirrors back in those days were hammered steel right. that was malleable enough that you can get it at least perfect enough that you can see a reflection of yourself. But mirrors in those days were not clear. It's like a lot of the old homes that you see that have been around for 200 years or more in this part of the country. Um, you can see, look through the panes of glass and you can see that they're wavy. And if it's an original window from like 200 years ago, that there's only so much clarity they can get out of a window back in those days. Right. Same thing here. And when you made a mirror back in Christ's day, I mean, you can, or even in Moses' day, there's only so much clarity you can get. And what an analogy that we could, they could look in a mirror and see the same image that God is trying to transform us into, which is the image of his son from glory to glory. That means that we're a work in progress, that that sanctification process continues, that that image that we see ourselves, although it may be blurred and imperfect, God is making perfect. That's right. And he's making perfect how? He's making us perfect in Christ. And that's an excellent from glory to glory to glory. The same glory that, that Moses was exposed to that made, made him glow. We can expose ourselves to that glory every time we pick up this book and speak to, and la- let him speak to us directly. Yeah. There's glory in that. And it can transform us. And the image of who we are can be different daily, increasing daily, changing daily. What David craved to create in him a new heart, we can do that every time we pick up this book. It's so true. But you have to trust the living Christ. You have to trust the resurrected Christ so that you can approach this book and be transformed into the image of his son to take hold of that covenant that was fulfilled in him, that was promised to the saints of old and became true and complete and fulfilled in Christ. You can take that and own it for yourself. And from glory to glory, day to day, you can be transformed into the image of his son. And that's God's purpose for you. That's God's purpose for you. The only thing you need to do is just what, as we read in Hebrews, what the saints right. of old did, just have faith and believe. That's right. None of them saw what was coming completely. They just understood that's God and I believe him and I'm going to trust him. So if God has accomplished for you, providing you a savior that goes into the temple of God and gives once and for all a sacrifice on your behalf so that you can approach his throne face to face and have a relationship with him, why wouldn't you want to do that? So that you can look in your mirror every day and see that it's becoming clearer and clearer. The more time you spend with God, that image becomes clearer and clearer until the day that Jesus comes back and we're glorified along with him and we become just like him. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. We become a hundred percent, just like you said. (laughs) 
And we can close with that, man. That's all I that had was, on that. That was awesome. And let me tell you something. That's just scratching the scratch on the scratch on this <laughs> scratch on, the scratch <laughs> on the this scratch chapter of that scratch. But man, I've enjoyed this, as you can tell. My excitement has been pouring from forth into this microphone and to you folks for the last two episodes because this is gold right here. Like we read in Psalm 19 when we did that teaching that yeah, David yeah. David uh, he he considered the word of God gold more 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 precious than even precious gold more sweeter than the than the honey from the honeycomb this is why this is exactly why david said what he said because when you dig in like this this is what you get you see god in all his glory and you don't have to veil it from anybody if anything you have to share it Amen to that. And you know what? If you're walking with Christ and you're in this word every day, the way we encourage you to be in this podcast, to be in your word every day, you'll manifest that in your life. And let me tell you something, you will change. Not only will the image of who you are in Christ change from glory to glory, you'll start changing other people's lives too because the power of God is working right through you. Like Paul said to the Corinthians, you are my letter. And it's not because of anything that we've done. Look at what God has done in you. Right. You're our letter of who we are in Christ. Proof that he can transform a life. You're my letter. So how many people do you have in your life that they're your letter? Amen to that. That you're manifesting the glory of God in your life and they're your letter to what you have spoken to them and what you proclaim in your life. Go out and do that. Go out and proclaim who you are in Christ and approach God and his glory with boldness. Our Savior paid a high price and he poured it all out every ounce on your behalf. So go out there and share the scripture. Dig into it, folks. And I hope you get that from our hearts here, Christian. I hope our listeners are getting that. that uh, yeah, I hope so our, too. Just dig into this word. There's nothing like it. That's why we are relentlessly biblical here because this is, this is the, 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 the precious gold that we, the treasure that we offer every time we crack this book open. It's amazing. You can close this out, bro. I'm done. <sighs> I hope that's been a value. No, to that was that I've was well it. done. That was well done, Alex. Uh, I really appreciate you coming and really opening this up for us to understand. You know uh, all that Paul's saying here in Second Corinthians chapter three. I mean, it, it really un, it really takes the veil even further off of your face. You know, I mean, even as believers, sometimes we can have doubt, but this just clears that doubt away and it really affirms and confirms. And like you said, the more you're in the scripture, the more you're letting God speak through the scripture, the more and more you just fall in love with God, the more and more you just want to submit to God. And the Amen. more and more it just makes you want to share this with someone because it's that good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no love out there like the love God, no. God has for you. But you got to make time for him. Like we mentioned in our last episode, you know, the, how you approach the Bible and with the urgency that you approach it is what you'll get back. You want to know the God of the universe? There he is. From Genesis to Revelation, he's right there. And he's viewable to you, not from some cleft in a rock because you can't take him in. You can take him all in now because Christ is here and he's God in man. And you can approach him. He's approachable because he was like us and he did what he did for us. What yeah. a savior. What yeah. a savior. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We were happy and thrilled and excited to bring it to you. So we just pray that that it's motivated you to get back into your word. And more than that, motivate you to just grow closer to Christ and 
to, to treasure him even more and share that, that abundant joy with other peoples close to you and those that are not so close, your family, your friends, everybody. This is the days that we live in. They're tough. And this is what we need. More Jesus and less of the other stuff. You know what I mean? So thank you for joining us, everyone. It's been a pleasure bringing it to you. We'll see you on the next episode. And Christian, thank you, brother. Thank you, Alex. And we'll see you guys next time. God bless. God bless you guys. We love you guys. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that we have been an encouragement to you. This episode has been made possible by listeners like you. Please consider partnering with us through your prayers and gifts. Your support enables us to provide sound biblical teaching that helps others open up their understanding of the scriptures across the globe. To support this show financially, click the Donate Now link in the episode notes or you can visit our podcast website at relentlesslybiblical.org and use a donate link in the podcast player or the support this show button that's on our homepage. Thank you for your gracious support. Join us again for our next episode and remember to always be in God's word and stay relentlessly biblical. This episode has been a production of Core Truth Media, owned and operated by Core Truth Ministries. This podcast was recorded and engineered at Prevail Studios.